0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Joy to the world. The Lord is come.
1: Let earth receive her King.
0: Joy to the world. That beloved Christmas carol has been a favorite for generations sung by choirs, street carolers, and individuals. But as we begin to draw the curtain on 2018, the world doesn't seem to be a very joyful place, does it?
1: Sometimes people's lives don't feel like they have much joy in them. Maybe in the providence of God, the season of joy, the time to celebrate the birth of Jesus, ended up at the end of one year and on the threshold of a new year so that all of us could be reminded that no matter what has gone on in your life in the last 12 months, we get to turn the page of the calendar and start again.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we're taking a break from our current series to take a look at the Christmas story to see if we can find a reason for joy, even with all the turmoil and trouble in the world.
1: Some of you know the Christmas story. Some of you heard the Christmas story a million times. Some of you have been there, done that, know all of that. But I'm also conscious that not everyone is familiar with the Christmas story. And even if you are familiar with the Christmas story, it is good to look back at least once a year and be reminded of the miracle that Christmas is. And the lessons, the practical lessons that you and I can apply to our lives from the Christmas story and apply to our lives not just at Christmas time, but all throughout the year.
0: Pastor Clay is taking us to Luke chapter 2 and the story of Joseph and Mary making their way to Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus Christ. What we find there gives reason for hope, even in this world, and shows us that joy can be a reality for anyone. Now, here's Pastor Clay.
1: You know, we we don't technically know what day Jesus was born. I don't know if all the children know that or not. I hope I'm not shattering any. (laughs) We don't technically know exactly what day of the year Jesus was born. Some historians believe that actually that it was in the spring. Some believe that it was in the winter. What we do know is that the the church, the church universal, uh, began to acknowledge or recognize or celebrate the birth of jesus on december 25th they began to do that early in the fourth century so it has been the the accepted date to celebrate the birth of jesus for a long time so we do celebrate it and we do talk a lot about joy but sometimes people's lives don't feel like they have much joy in them maybe Maybe in the providence of God, the, the season of joy, the, the, the time to celebrate the birth of Jesus, maybe in the providence of God, it ended up uh, at the end of one year and on the threshold of a new year so that all of us could be reminded that no matter what has gone on in your life in the last 12 months, we get to turn the page of the calendar in another week or so and start again. That may be exciting or depressing, I don't know, it might depend on your perspective. But I want to spend a few moments this morning, before we go have lunch together, and I hope you're all planning to stay for lunch, we're going to go down and have lunch together. Before we do that, I want to spend a few moments looking for this joy, and where this joy can be found, because, ladies and gentlemen, here's what I want you to hear today, joy to the world is more than just a song that we sing at Christmas time. You just heard the Christmas story read a few moments ago from Luke chapter 2. And and from Luke chapter 2, and really today just from verses 1 through 7, I I just want to share one kind of idea and then some things off of that with you about this idea of joy and where this joy is found and all that kind of stuff, okay? Because some of you know the Christmas story. Some of you heard the Christmas story a million times. Some of you, yeah, been there, done that, know all of that. But I'm also conscious that not everyone is familiar with the Christmas story. And even if you are familiar with the Christmas story, it is good to look back at least once a year and be reminded of the miracle that Christmas is. And the lessons, the practical lessons that you and I can apply to our lives from the Christmas story and apply to our lives not just at Christmas time, but all throughout the year. Here's the idea I want to share with you this morning. Joy comes when trial turns into triumph. Joy comes when trial turns into triumph. Now, as I said, you just we just read that, that Luke 2 passage, the, that Christmas story. And in that story, we see this unfolding uh, event that took place, this event that had been talked about and promised and prophesied about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of years. Now, to say that, that their life together, to say that Mary and Joseph's idea of their life together didn't start out the way they would have imagined that it or planned for it to start out, that would be an understatement, wouldn't it? Matthew tells us, in Matthew's account, Matthew tells us that this angel came to Mary in her room and informed her that she was she had been chosen. She was highly favored. She was going to be the mother of the Messiah. And Messiah boys and girls, is just another name for the Christ or the Savior. That she was the one that had been chosen of God and that she was going to give birth to the, to the uh, Savior of the world. And he told her that, that this was going to be a miraculous conception and that she was going to have this baby even though she was a virgin. <laughs> Imagine trying to explain that one to your parents and to your fiancé and to your friends. No, no, really, I, I, I've, never, I've never been with a man. Matthew tells us that Joseph clearly did not believe Mary when, when she told him. Matthew tells us that he clearly did not believe her because he was going to put her away. He was going to divorce her because even in the Jewish culture, engagement was a legally binding uh, relationship. Clearly, Joseph did not believe her until Joseph got a visit from an angel, right? who informed him that what Mary was saying was true and that she should he should take her as his wife so you know you've got the the you know the 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 whole deal going on right and and and, and that that is that is life that that's life you got come on in our lives right you got political messes and financial stresses right you got family drama can have family drama have physical trauma people can be crabby and they took off down abbey (laughs) i'm just saying that's life life throws stuff at you that you don't expect you've got this plan or you've got this expectation even if you don't put it down on paper you've got this idea of how life is going to go in some way and, and, and you know Mary and Joseph have those ideas of how life is going to go, how the engagement is going to go, how the wedding is going to go, how the, uh, the, the, honeymoon, how the whole thing is going to go. And it doesn't go. It doesn't go that way. So you got the whole family dynamics and trying to explain this thing. You know you've got the small town rumor mill going on, right? You know that's going on all through Nazareth. And then at some point in the pregnancy, Mary and Joseph find out that they have to make a trip uh, down to their ancestral home. Bethlehem for a tax census that's going to be done is a trip of roughly 90 to 100 miles on foot or donkey probably would have taken for a woman in her condition and how much can you travel during the day I'm guessing probably at least a week to make this trip over sometimes very barren and arid rocky area I suspect that there was there was at least some uh, danger from from robbers to be out there, donkey jackers, right? And to say that a a husband with with an eight, nine-month pregnant woman makes for a soft target for robbers is, is an understatement, right? But somehow, they make it. They pull into town and discover that apparently nobody has left the light on for them because there is no room in the local Holiday Inn Because everybody else is in town for the census. And I'm just saying, I'm not trying to throw them under the bus here, but I'm just saying, apparently, the people of Bethlehem were not big on hospitality because nobody is willing to take this young couple in. And the only place that Joseph can find for his very pregnant wife to lie down in is a stable, uh, a a lean-to shed, possibly a, a cave, someplace where the animal's we're stored. Here's the deal. It's one thing to be in your room and an angel show up and say, Woohoo, Mary, you're highly favored. You're the one chosen. You're going to bring the Messiah. It must have been incredibly exciting. Probably a little scary too, but, but incredibly exciting. But it's one thing in your, to be in your room and to, and to hear that announcement. It's another thing for the reality of that to begin to, to, to flesh itself out and to discover that things just aren't necessarily going the way you thought they would go. But that's life, isn't it? And, and basically, for the better part of a year, it's just been one thing after another thing after another thing, and, and here's where they end up. Do you think at some point Mary and Joseph just looked at each other and just started laughing? I mean, it's like, what, what else can go wrong? What, what, what else can, can happen? You ever have a year like that? Where it just it seems like one circumstance after the other, one trial after the other, one, one uh, turmoil or trauma or whatever, one event after another just seems to keep coming. Up. It just seems like uh, not only is life stacked against you, life's piling it on. You, you all know what I'm saying? You, you ever have a, you have a year like that? Somebody's thinking, year? How about a decade? Right? That's life. It throws this stuff at us. And in the midst of it, we're, here, here are these followers of Jesus saying, Joy to the world! I said earlier that, that even if you're familiar with the Christmas story, there are some lessons that we can learn that we can apply to our lives. Here's the first lesson that we can apply to our lives. Being in God's will doesn't guarantee you'll stay out of trouble. It doesn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish it did, but it doesn't. I, I, I don't... I don't think that you could say that Mary and Joseph could be any more in God's will than what, than what they were, being obedient, doing what they were, they were told to do. I don't think you could say that it would be possible for them to be any more in God's will. And yet, trial after trial, difficulty after difficult, difficulty kept coming into their lives. And here's what I'm saying to you. If God did not see fit to protect the mother of Jesus from trials and circumstances in her life, it's a strong a strong bet that he's not going to protect you or, and, and me from them either. Being in God's will doesn't, just, doesn't automatically mean that you're, that you're not going to have trouble in your life. You actually are. So let's ask the question that everybody wants to ask. Why? Why don't we get a Jesus bubble? that we can just get in and, and no bad stuff comes to us. The world, okay, yeah, they're heathens. I get it. But we're, we're the Jesus people. Why don't we get a bubble? I mean, we're trying to do right, live right, act right. Right? So so to put it this way, why do we have to struggle and suffer through stuff? You've thought it, even if you didn't say it out loud, at some point in your life, in the midst of the... uh, 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 why, Why do we have to go through that kind of stuff? Let me say this to you. Granted, some of the answer to that question is and will remain hidden in the sovereignty of God. In other words, you and I may never know exactly all the reasons why God does some of the things that he, that he does. And we have to be okay with it. We have to learn to rest in that. But I'll give you at least two reasons why God does not put us in a Jesus bubble, why we do have to go through some of that stuff in our, in our lives. I'll give you at least two reasons. The first one is this. We wouldn't grow. We wouldn't, we we would not, you will not grow spiritually, you will not grow in your understanding of who God is and what God wants for your life, you will not grow as a person, you will not grow in prosperity, you will only grow in adversity. Like it or not, adversity is the soil in which maturity grows, it is through the struggle prosperity that sounds wonderful but you will not you won't change you won't grow you won't mature into the person god intends for you to be remember he's creating you into this person that's going to last forever for eternity so he he, he really doesn't want to want to take you in the condition you're in now <laughs> he's trying to get you and 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 me somewhere he's trying to mature and that only happens through adversity it, by the way just do you know do you know how do you know how muscles grow by putting them under pressure, by, 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 by forcing them to lift weights that, that, that are more than they're supposed to weight, by literally tearing the muscle down, tearing the muscle, so that it can build back up and become stronger than it was to begin with. So, I, I'm just saying to you, this, I'm not saying God doesn't care about your material life, okay? But I'm just saying to you, if given a choice... Uh, or if, if part of the deal is if, if to get you to spiritually mature and grow in your walk with Christ, if God has to bring some adversity into your life for that to happen, I, I, I'm telling you, he'll do it every time. Because the spiritual is eternal, and, and the material, as we've said many times, this is, this is right, this is gone, this is passing away, this is in the whole scheme of things. So he wouldn't grow. Here's another reason uh, that God uh, will sometimes just doesn't give us a Jesus bubble or let us out of this stuff. They wouldn't know. The truth is, the world wouldn't know that there's a God who loves them and cares about them and who will meet them in their adversity. Because I, said, I think I said this early, earlier, everybody, and I do mean everybody, faces adversity in this world. Follower Jesus, non-follower Jesus, that doesn't matter, that's not the criteria. Everybody that lives on this sin-cursed, sin-soaked world experiences trials, trauma, difficulties, circumstances in their life. And they wouldn't know that there's a God who loves them and cares about them if you and I couldn't go to them and say, listen, I I, I know you must be hurting. I, I I know you're probably scared in this situation. I, I know that you're angry about this and This situation. Can I tell you how God met me in my adversity? Can I tell, share with you how God is bringing victory into my life? They wouldn't know that if we hadn't been the same. Listen, think about it. Which follower of Jesus is the most effective in ministering to a person who's lost their job? The follower of Jesus who lost his or her job. Which follower of Jesus is the most effective uh, in ministering to to a a mother with with two children whose, whose husband has just walked out the door? The follower of Jesus who's experienced the same in her life. Which follower of Jesus is the most effective at ministering to a person with cancer? the follower of Jesus, that's experienced cancer. Listen, no, nobody is signing up. Nobody would wish those types of trials and adversities on, on any of us. But the pain, the struggle, the circumstances that you experience in your life, if God can in some way use those to minister to another person and perhaps even change their eternal destiny, then I promise you it's well worth anything that you and I will experience here. Okay, here's, here's, a, here's another lesson. I'll give you a second lesson this morning. Joy in life doesn't have to be held hostage by circumstances in life. Joy in life doesn't have to be held hostage by the circumstances of life. Now listen, I want you to hear me on this. I want you to hear me clearly. Look up from your phones. Adversity has no authority in your life. Adversity has no authority in your life. I want you to say that with me, but I want you to make the pronoun personal. Say it with me. Adversity has no authority in my life. Now, adversity may be exercising authority over your life right now. Adversity may be controlling how you feel. Adversity may be affecting your emotions. But it's only because you're giving adversity the right to do it. I want you to understand that. Now, you would say. In a particular situation, whatever you're going through, and sometimes I know about some of the things some of y'all go through, sometimes I might not have a clue because people are really good at putting on their smile and coming in here and, and, and hiding their, their pain. I understand that. We have to function, we have to move forward. And, and you might be tempted to say, oh, listen, I, I hear you, I hear you. That sounds really good, Pastor but you don't know my situation, you don't know my life, you don't know, my, you don't know exactly what I'm going through right now, you don't know how it is in my house, you don't know about this work, you don't know about this physical, you don't know about everything. So it's easy for you to say that adversity doesn't have authority over my life, but you don't know my story. Let me read you a story. And it's a story I, I read, I think, a couple of years ago. So some of you have never heard of it, and most of you have forgotten it from this, uh, this book entitled, I Get It, a study that my life group is just, just now embarking on. So what does it look like when you get it? Let me introduce you to Jean. Back when I worked for the post office, I would sometimes deliver mail to Jean. When I knew her, Jean was perhaps in her 50s or 60s, but as a young girl, she had contracted a disease that over time left her legs and hands disfigured and without function and often with a great deal of pain. Jean lived alone in a little wooden house on a dead-end street behind a grocery store. She spent her days in a hospital-type bed inside a bedroom maybe six by eight feet at best with a small window above her head. Someone would come in for part of the day and prepare meals for Jean and do the things that had to be done for her. But basically, Jean's days were spent in that little bed, inside that little room, inside that little house, on that little dead-end street behind the grocery store. None of us, and I mean none of us, would want Jean's circumstances. Nobody in his or her right mind would ask to go through what Jean had to go through every single day of her life. But every one of us would be better off if we had Jean's outlook on life. I have rarely, if ever, met someone as joyous, as content, and as full of life as Jean. She loved to smile. She loved to laugh. And Jean loved to talk about Jesus. She always had words of encouragement for those who came to visit her. And she never talked about her trials or her circumstances If you went to visit Jean, you might think you were blessing her, and no doubt she appreciated the visit, but you always left Jean's house knowing that you were the one who had really been blessed. Almost every day after school, neighborhood children would go over to Jean's house, and she had someone put cookies out before the children got there. And all the kids would cram into that little bedroom, and Jean would read them Bible stories and ask them about their day. She would laugh and smile and tell each of them how special they were, and how much God loved them. I have no doubt that Jean lived in a fair amount of pain on a daily basis, but you would never know it being around her. There was a joy, a peace and contentment to Jean's life that defies logic. How could anybody enjoy a life trapped in such circumstances? How could anybody smile and laugh in the face of such adversity? Was Jean delusional? Was she living in denial? Or could it be something else? Is it possible that Gene was actually living in the reality of God's promises that aren't tied to life's situations or our circumstances, but are able to meet us right smack dab in the middle of them and give us victory over whatever life throws at us? I'm telling you, adversity has no authority in your life. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... You have the right to have victory over the adversity of your life and to live in a state of joy. And listen, I'm not on a spiritual high horse here. We can all struggle at times with with letting our emotions uh, control us. All of us can. But I'm telling you that God has given you victory and you can live in the reality of that victory. So here's what you need to do. First, you need to change your focus. You will not let... Adversity have authority over your life? You need to change your focus. Let me read a passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, who's he talking to? That's right. Any of you that know Christ as your Savior. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix, fix your thoughts. Set them right in there. Settle them in. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Listen, you don't have to do anything to think about your circumstances, do you? To think about the trials. You don't have to do it. Your mind automatically wants to run there, right? to be consumed with this is going on, or this this experience, this loss, this trial, this difficulty. You don't have to do anything. Your, Your mind will just go there. So what I'm saying to you is you have to make a deliberate decision, a deliberate choice to say, I'm going to think about something else. I'm going to change my focus. And Paul says, think about these things. Think about the things of God. Think about his righteousness. Think about his sovereignty over his creation. Think about his love. Think about his grace. Think about his peace. Think about his his purposes and plans. Think about what he's done for you in the past. Think about how he continues to work. To think on these things. And listen to me. You do it again and again and again and again. And every time adversity wants to crash the party, and and fill your mind, again, with how bad your life is or how tough your circumstances are, every time that begins to happen, you have to choose to say, no, no, I will not do that. I will not go there. Here's what I'm going to think about. I'm going to think about the glory of God. I'm going to think about his creation. That's amazing the way God created this. Do you see that sunset yesterday? It's unbelievable. I'm going to think about how God has redeemed me without any cost to myself whatsoever. I'm going to think about, you understand what I'm saying to you? You've got to change your focus. If you want to get off the, the circumstance train... And let's face it, what we think about controls how we feel. That's right. Can we just be honest about that? The thing I think about is what controls how I feel. So, simple solution, think about something else. (laughs) Think about something focused on God. You've got to change your focus. And you have to decide to do that. And you have to do it again and again. Like I said, you have to do it again and again and again. And every time you do, you beat back the attacks of the enemy who wants to steal your joy and keep you focused on your world and your circumstances and how bad things are for you. You've got to change your focus. Here's the second idea. You've got to activate your faith. You've got to activate your faith. This is, I'm just going to be honest with you, this is probably the number one difficulty or struggle that I see in the lives of followers of Jesus, is the ability to activate their faith in a practical, in a practical, everyday manner in their life. In other words... Oftentimes, people think of faith as uh, it's something con- connected to religion. It's something that, that, I, that I need at, at church. It's something I, I need to get to heaven. And you certainly do need faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You need faith in that to get to heaven. There's no question about that. But ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. You need faith to get to the grocery store. You need faith at work. You need faith at school. You need faith... In your home, in your marriage, in your every situation, you need faith to be an active part of your daily life. By the way, everybody uses faith on a daily basis. I'm just telling you, you need to activate your faith in God. But everybody uses faith on a daily basis. I've used this example a number of times before, but every every morning or whatever time that you go out and, and you get into your car and you turn the key or you push the button or you speak to it or whatever all they got now every time you do that you're you're activating or exercising your faith in the electrical system within the car within the car or the car brand itself or whatever the reason is but but you you do that because you're activating you're exercising your faith that the car is going to start if you didn't have faith that the car was going to start you'd already be on the phone to Uber or AAA or somebody so you're actually activating your faith in that particular Thing and the, and the mechanics that went into it, the design that went into it, whatever it was, you're actually. You understand what I'm saying to you? you? You use faith all the time. You just don't think about it that way. An atheist activates his faith every day by deciding and declaring that God does not exist. He cannot prove God does not exist. He or she cannot prove God does not exist. Nobody can prove God does not exist. And so by faith, he he. Activates it in a way that he makes decisions in life based on his faith that God does not exist. You understand what I'm saying to you? He makes decisions in life based on his faith that God does not exist, even though he cannot prove that God does not exist. And I'm saying to you, in the same way, you and I have to activate our faith and live as if God does exist, if we believe that He does exist, so that we make so that we make moral decisions and, and financial decisions and marital decisions and Uh, relational we, we make decisions based on what god has to say about that subject matter because by faith we believe that that's actually what is true and so we activate our faith that's what you have to do in the circumstances of your life you have to activate your faith and say this circumstance stinks i don't like it at all but by faith i believe that god is on his throne By faith, I believe that God is never caught unaware. By faith, I believe that God is ahead of me in this circumstance, in this trial, in this difficulty. By faith, I may not understand everything that goes on. But by faith, I believe that God is working ahead of every single thing. And I'm going to choose to activate my faith. James chapter 2. You've read this before, probably. James chapter 2, verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Verse 26 for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead in other words if there's no if there's no result of this 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 spiritual thought that I have, oh I have faith, if it does not impact or affect my life in some way, in the choices I make to uh, to, to act righteous or to live holy or to, or to watch the language that comes out of my mouth or to what all those different things that, that are all part of our life that we make on a daily basis. If my faith is not activated, then, then I'll make decisions as if that faith is not real. And James says, that's, that's dead faith. That, that's, not even, that's not even real. You know, Oh, I believe in Jesus. And so James says, in other words, show me. Show me. See, you understand what I'm saying to you? You have to activate your faith in the circumstances of your life because... Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says, And we know that God causes everything... Would you just say this out loud with me? Would you read it with me? And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. It doesn't say that everything that happens is good, but it does say that everything that happens, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. Now, that statement is either true or it's not. If it is true, then I either believe it or not. If it is true, and if I believe it, then I have to believe that whatever the circumstances is in your life right now, or next year, or ten years from now, whatever is or will be coming into your life, that God is ahead of it, and God is going to use it in ways that we may not ever understand this side of eternity, but by faith, by activating our faith, we can say, God, God, I'm not going to let my circumstances keep me here. I, I'd, I'll be honest with you, God. I'd rather not be in this. I'd rather not, ha- have, have, I'd rather not have gone through this divorce. I'd rather not have, have been diagnosed with this disease. I'd rather not have, have, have lost my job. I'd rather not have uh, all of this kind of stuff. I'd rather not do that, God. But by faith, God, I believe that you're ahead of everything. And so I will not let my circumstance keep me where I am. I will I will believe in you. And listen, when you get to that place in your life, we're going to close. We'll go eat lunch. When you get to that place in your life, when you get to that place where, where Romans 8 becomes real to you, that verse becomes real to you, do you know what you will find when you get there? Joy. Joy. And God throws in peace and contentment and purpose and all the other promises that He gives. You've got to change your focus because you're going to have circumstances. You're going to have trials. All of us are. You've got to change your focus you got to activate your faith. And if you'll do that, you'll experience joy.
0: Mary and Joseph must have been puzzled as to why things seemed to be getting worse, even though they knew they were in God's will. You and I can wonder the same thing at times. But as we heard today, our circumstances do not control our joy. The good news is good no matter what's going on in life. And like the shepherds, we can see that God loves us enough to send His Son for us. Ordinary lives are changed by the extraordinary good news of the Savior, and that should make all the difference in the world for our daily lives and living with joy. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.